0: All right, everybody, let's open up to first Timothy chapter. We're going to give me chapter four today, essentially, but so let's start with where we left off in chapter three, which is verse, um, 10, I believe, or nine. So make your way to first Timothy chapter three, verse nine. And, uh, just a verse, uh, that I kind of, that's going to bookend everything is in Matthew 25, verse 23. I'll read it now. We'll come back to it later. In Matthew 25, verse 23, Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I'm going to set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You know, as Paul is in a Roman prison, he's wrapping up his earthly ministry. He's writing to Timothy. Uh, Yeah. And, and I have no doubt that this verse is, is on his mind. This is, this is what he's thinking about. He's thinking he's about to see Jesus really soon. He is about to come face to face with the Lord. The one who uh, called him into ministry, the one who set him to do what he's called to do. And he's about to give an account to him. And so no doubt Paul uh, is thinking about that day when he's standing in front of Jesus. And as he's writing to Timothy, he's has that same thing going on in his heart for Timothy. Um, the day when he and all believers, including us, we stand before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords at the mercy seat, excuse me, at the mercy seat of Christ, not at the judgment seat, not at the great white throne, but at the mercy seat of Christ, the beam of seat of Christ and we are judged according to what we have done, what he's given us, and we're rewarded by the Lord. And it talks about that day as a lot of things getting burned away, and then also a lot of rewards coming towards us. Uh, but we are going to be rewarded according to our faithfulness to his call upon our lives. And so with that day in mind, in his final letter to Timothy, Paul is consistently calling Timothy to persevere. Timothy persevere over and over. Timothy, keep going. Timothy, all the weights that are in you throw them off, keep focus, keep going, keep going, keep going. And Paul wanted Timothy to know what to expect as Paul is crossing the finish line and Timothy is in the middle of his race. He wanted Timothy to know what to expect. And so last week in verse nine, uh, well, the first nine verses of chapter three, actually we saw what the last days would bring about for Timothy as he tried to be faithful in the call that God had called him to Paul described those days for Timothy and for us as times of difficulty, perilous times. Some of your translations say uh, dangerous times, times that are hard to bear. And he tells us why the reason for the perilous times for Timothy The reason Paul tells us is that in Timothy and future believers would, there would be increasingly encounter society and sadly, not only a society around us, but a society that has infiltrated the church in which people are at their core. Verse two tells us that are lovers of self, so, if you're making notes, I'm going to kind of make our way through there. Uh, lovers of self, verse four, it says it's wrapped up by lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. People who have an appearance of godliness, but verse five says, but deny its power. They proclaim Christ, but they're not changed. That's kind of what is going to typify not only the outside of religiosity and hypocrisy, but in the church. And so the infiltration of the world into the church, people who claim to be followers of Jesus, who talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. Now we all know we're in the process of sanctification. Amen. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about being transformed into the image of Christ. If there are any perfect people in here, uh, please exit now. Um, except for the Lord Jesus. Amen. But we are being transformed into his image. This is, these are people who will not conform, will not be transformed because they haven't been transformed. They haven't been born again, but they have a religiosity about them. And Paul goes on in verses six, nine to describe not only people in the church, but the false teachers who are going to make them feel comfortable in the church and not going to make them feel comfortable. They're going to lead them in those things to a greater and greater degree. And so in verse eight, you read about these men who oppose the truth, men corrupt in mind and disqualified regarding the faith men who are leading people in teachings that play upon people who are ruled by their flesh. And so in Timothy's call to follow Christ in these end times to be a faithful minister of the word, there are going to be perilous times outside the church and inside the church, right? And the truth of the word of God is going to be assaulted. It's going to be under assault, undermined by false teachers and the people who follow them. And that's the the thrust here. Timothy, it is going to be an uphill battle as a minister of Jesus Christ. And so in verses 10 through 17, Paul comes back to Timothy's call and any he focus, he, his focus in the midst of all this. And I went over this briefly last week and I'll go over it quickly again, as we go to chapter four, but starting in verse 10, Paul says to Timothy, you, however, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. verse 11 in my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium in Lystra, which persecutions I endured yet from them, all the Lord has rescued me indeed. Verse 12 underline this star, this all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So this is like, this is Paul's farewell letter to Timothy, Timothy it's bad. And uh, you know, it's really bad outside, but you followed me. You followed my life. You followed all these things straight into persecution. And Paul's life was an example to Timothy of what it was to follow Jesus. What it was to actually live out the faith to follow Christ. Well, in Timothy's case, even how to, how to minister to be a faithful minister, how to be a Christian in perilous times. And, and just like Jesus, Paul's godly life Although he did all these things, he had faith and patience and love and steadfastness and all this type of stuff. It led him into persecution. The light penetrated the darkness and the darkness did not like it. And so the light, the darkness tried to snuff out the light, the witness of Paul, the witness of Christ in Paul. And so just like Jesus, Paul's godly life was rejected by the world, by the pagan Romans and by the religious Jews. Paul was being persecuted. He was actually in prison in Rome right now, handed over by people who had rejected uh, Paul in his ministry. And Paul points out that in that all, you can expect persecution if you're going to live a godly life, Timothy, but you can also expect Jesus to be with you. And that's an awesome promise as well. So one 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 thing, you know how we always have the promises of God we underline and star? Well, underline that one that if you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. Underline that, expect that. But right along the heels of it, also underline where Paul said that but Jesus delivered me from them all. That Jesus was with Paul until it was time for Paul to go home. Amen. And Paul points out the Lord rescued him, right? The Lord was faithful. And that's his message to Timothy and to us, follow Jesus, follow me, expect persecution and expect Jesus to be faithful through it all. So church, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. How's, how's that going for you in the settings we're living in? the times where we are being asked increasingly so to do things that are against what the Lord lays out, what scripture says and how we're to, you know, the world wants us to not only uh, just get along, but to agree with them on a whole host of issues. And if you don't, you will feel the wrath of the world. You will be marginalized. You'll be pushed out. You'll be ostracized. You'll be, whatever it might be from how people view sexuality and using pronouns and all this kind of stuff to how you, uh, you know, view other things as well. The preaching the gospel in public places, the, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's just going to, you're going to get the ire of the world. You're just going to get the wrath of the world. Well, expect it. Don't be afraid of it. And also expect Jesus to be with you in the midst of the persecution. Amen. And so while evil people, and he says, they're also another part of that is verse 13, evil people and imposters are going to go from bad to worse. The bad guys and hypocrites, the false teachers, they're going to flourish. You're going to be persecuted, but they're going to flourish. that's just going to, what, what the end times are going to look like. But verse 14, but as for you continue in what you've learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Again, I'm not going to go into great detail here, but like I said, last week, this is Paul's call again for Timothy to persevere, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. Don't stop. Uh, don't stop. Don't pay attention to these false teachers. You know, the truth, you know, who you've learned it to learned it from. I feel like this is a conversation we need to have with our kids going to college. You know, why are you listening to these people? Don't you know the truth? Don't you know who you've learned it from to have a direct conversation? Or is it, we are not, we haven't communicated the truth (laughs) and they haven't learned it, you know, but uh, you've heard it from me. Timothy, you've heard it from Paul the apostle. You've heard it from me, and and for, and in Timothy, you've also heard it from your mom and from your grandma. We learned that from in the other uh, parts of First Timothy. They believe it says your mom and grandma, man, they taught you the scriptures from a young age. You know the truth. You know you who you've learned it from in the sacred writings, the scriptures that you were taught. The scriptures they taught you, and I, and they they teach you, and they're able to make you wise. For salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible ultimately points people to Jesus Christ. That's what it does. It points people to the son who glorifies the father. This is what the crux crux of the scripture does. It points people to faith in Christ. It calls people to repent and to believe. To turn from sin and to come to Christ. That's what it does. So don't be fooled by these people are telling you something else. You know, the truth, persevere in it verse 16. And then Paul is kind of honing in here on Timothy's ministry says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Timothy didn't need to go anywhere else. He didn't need to teach anything else. Why? Because all scripture is breathed out by God. It's God inspired. The scriptures are inspired by God. And and, and what are they inspired for Well, firstly, it teaches. It says that in, um, well, it says there, first of all, for teaching it's profitable for teaching. So in all aspects of life and godliness, the scriptures equip us. It teaches us. And that has the idea of uh, what, what the truth is in a sea of lies. You want to know what truth is God's truth, what he says about something, go to his word and he will teach you what the truth is. Contrary to whatever else is said. You want to go to the word of God for truth. And so it's doctrine, it's truth, it's teaching. And so that's the first aspect it's, it's you want to know something about something first, go to the Scriptures. seek, seek him out, seek God in the scriptures. He'll teach you a truth. Now he might not tell you what house to buy, but it'll tell you the principle of that you're to live by in which to buy that house or not buy that house does that make sense secondly it is profitable for reproof in the, in in that god's word rebukes us for wrong behavior and wrong belief that's contrary to the truth god's word is confrontational by the nature of it being truth it it it, it exposes and and is opposed to lies how many of you have been reading the scripture and you read the scripture and you go oh well great I'll just pass over that verse you know or how many of you go oh yeah that's that verse for that person I want to give them this verse you know what I mean <laughs> but it's profitable for reproof in that god's word rebukes us for wrong behavior and wrong beliefs and that's what god is constantly doing when we're under the word of god together we're learning truth about God. We're also being challenged about our own belief system. That's contrary to what God says. And he challenges us on it. It's uncomfortable. So this is kind of the negative. If you know, I'd say negative in the sense that anything about the word of God is negative, but it's in the negative sense, it, it, it's an attack on what is wrong. It attacks what's wrong. That's what happens there. Thirdly, the scriptures are profitable for correction. Uh, not only does the scripture point out what's wrong, but it tells us what's right, how to fix it. So for example, we, we, we learned about people that were once thieves. And obviously the thing is stop stealing because what's going on there is greed. The core issue is in theft. The core issue is not trusting in God in selfishness. And so when a person is used to be a thief and they become born again, and they're changed, they are told stop stealing, but not only told stop stealing, what else are they told? Start doing what work with your hands, hands. get a job. Why? So that you can what? Yeah. Not only give to yourself and take care of your own needs, but now you're going to be a giver instead of a taker. Isn't that amazing? So God's word, not only, not only, you know, cuts us off in, in in what we believe is wrong and what we're doing is wrong, and only t- exposes that in us. Then it tells us the truth and points us in the right direction to go. And the idea of there of correct and I had it backwards last week, but the idea of correct is that um, is that it's like setting a bone in the right place. It's pick, like picking someone up off the ground and making them upright again. You're correcting them. They're putting them in the right position, so they can be healthy. So the the word of God is profitable for correction in our lives. How many of you, uh, you know, know what's wrong, but you don't know what to do. That's right. God has answers for that. He has wisdom for you. Mine it, go for it, dig it out, seek him. He'll show you. He'll teach you. You're his kid. Fourthly, the scriptures train us in righteousness. So it doesn't just point out what's wrong and doesn't just correct us. It leads us on the path of righteousness. It sets out his righteous right standard. It trains us in righteousness. Righteousness has different. There's imputed righteousness of God, which means that he gives us a righteousness. That's not our own, a right standing before God. That's something that happens at the cross, but this is also training in righteousness, right? Living. This is because we've been changed on the inside. Now we live it out on the outside. He tells us how to do that. He tells us how to live rightly with one another and rightly before God training in righteousness. And notice that we are the reason for that is that we are equipped for every good work. The man, the woman of God is now equipped for every good work. Listen, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you know God created you with good works in mind? God created you with specific things that he has for you to accomplish in his will that are handmade, hand-carved, just for you to walk in. Do you know that you wonder why you look different than everybody else? God specifically and fearfully wonderfully made you for his glory and for his purpose and your joy and your fullness and your completeness is met in knowing him and living out the things that he has called you to beautiful thing. You're his workmanship. You're his poema. You're his work created in Christ Jesus for good works in which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And the word of God equips you to walk in those good works. It shows you, it shows you how to do it and it points you in that direction. And so Paul says to Timothy, stay true to the word, stay true to the word. You don't need to go anywhere else. You don't need to teach anything else like the false teachers are doing. All you need is right there. Right in the scriptures, right there. All the people of God need is right there in the word. Go to the word, go to the word, go to the word. The word of God is the authority. Timothy chapter four, verse one. He doesn't even stop. And I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Up until this point, Paul has been leading Timothy along, (laughs) right? If you, if you just kind of go through memory lane with me, I'll quickly go through it. Chapter one, verse six, if you're taking notes for this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, the gift of uh, the flame uh, into flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, Timothy fan the flame that God gave you. Don't back away from the call. God's put on your life. Fan the flame, move into it. Verse eight. Therefore, don't be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy, don't back away because things get hard. Rather push in, share in the suffering. Chapter one verse 13 and 14 follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me and in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you follow what you know is the truth. Follow the truth and guard what God has entrusted to you. Protect it. Chapter two verses one through three, you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened in the grace, Timothy. Come on, Timothy, persevere. Be strengthened in the grace. Not only that, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men. What you're guarding, what's been given to you, and has been entrusted to you, entrust to faithful men. Not like the men in Asia who left, but the ones who are going to be faithful, entrusted to them, who are also going to be able to teach others also. And verse three again share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter two, verse, uh, verse eight, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Timothy, look beyond the present, look beyond the present suffering. There is a glorification coming. Chapter two, verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God. Everything I just said in the first 13 verses, remind those men you're entrusting to remind the church of those things. Chapter two, verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Chapter two, verse 22. So flee youthful passions and, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Verse 23 of chapter two have nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversies. You know, they breed quarrels verse, chapter three, verse 14. But as for you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing whom you have learned it. Do you see all the encouragement that Paul keeps giving Timothy to continue on, to press on in the faith? And those are kind of gentle reminders, but now he hits the home, the home run. Paul is running out of life. And he's only got so much time left in his, in his last hurrah in his last breath towards Timothy, he says, I charge you. It's no longer, come on, I encourage you, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's all that stuff. That's what he's been doing at this point. But now he comes to the pinnacle of it all. He says, I charge you. I command you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. He was to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. The charge is to preach the word, preach the entirety of the message of God's word. Preach it. What God has to say, give it to the people, proclaim it to the unbeliever, proclaim it to the believer. And Paul at this point is bringing into Timothy's view, the weightiness and the seriousness of his role as a minister. And by the way, just in case you go, well, you are partners in the gospel. You are ministers of the new covenant. You have been given the message of Jesus Christ to proclaim to the world around you. You don't get to escape from this verse either. Pretty, pretty weighty, huh? You might not be a pastor up in front of people communicating, but God has given you a part in his kingdom, a very important part in communicating the gospel and communicating the word of God. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, preach the word. It's a weighty calling. And he does this by to bring the seriousness about this all by, by talking about, he uses the word I charge you. The apostle Paul flips on his apostle hat <laughs> with Timothy and says, I command you. This is not an option, Timothy. It's not an option to fan the flame. It's not an option to persevere. It's not an option to uh, flee youthful lust. It's not an option to do all the stuff. You are commanded to do this. You are commanded to preach the word and this charge doesn't just come from Paul's authority, but from the one who authorized Paul, the one in whom the presence uh, that he's in the presence of, this is what Paul is saying. The charge is in the presence of God. First of all, listen, the word that you have in your hands, hopefully the one that you have in your possession is, is, is God's word. It is his message. Really important. It's important for Timothy to know that and me to know that this is God's word. It is before God, the father that Timothy was commanded and was to preach his word. And it's also noticed before God, the son before Jesus Christ. And the reason why Paul says, and also Jesus Christ there is because the judgment seat, the mercy seat is in view. Paul is at the end of his life. He's about to die. He's about to stand before the Lord and give an account for what he has done with what God has called him to. And he's saying Timothy before God and before Jesus, who's going to judge you for what you've done. Preach the word. Don't stop. Paul points out that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. And we'll come back to Matthew 25 in a bit, but it will be Jesus who judges his ministers and his work before them. It is Jesus. Who's going to judge his church. And so ministering in the presence of God and the son to whom Timothy will give an account is the motivation for Timothy to preach the word. One of them verse two, Timothy is to preach the word and to what? To be ready in season and out of season, and re, and what does he say there? reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Timothy was to be ready to preach the word "in season and out of season, meaning his faithfulness to proclaim the word of God was not dependent upon how the people felt about what was being said about how he said, whether the culture accepted it or not, whether it was in season or out of season for the word of God to be preached on any given topic. You be faithful to God's word in season, out season, no matter if you're in a religious culture or an antichrist culture, you be faithful to the word of God. The world doesn't determine what truth is. God's word determines what truth is. You preach the truth. You preach the word. He was to be ready like a soldier. He is prepared. The calling was an urgent one and preaching the word, proclaiming the word has with it, the call to reprove, to rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Notice how many of those sound like fun words. Yeah. Pretty much the same description that he just gave him at the end of the previous chapter of what the word of God is profitable for it says, now you need to go proclaim this. First of all, the word of God is he's called to preach by reproving, meaning to point out what is false in behavior and belief. We talked about that in rebuke correcting motives and leading them to the truth. And in the positive, those two, first two are kind of a negative view, but then it's, then there's the exhortation of the word. And the word exhortation has the idea of coming alongside someone and helping them. It's one of those para words, paraclete kind of like the Holy spirit comes alongside of you. But this one is the idea of coming alongside and, and pointing out what is off and also encouraging. Sometimes it's translated encouragement. So I always view this word of someone like a coach. You know, who, who, who's out for your best interest, who cares about you developing and will point out the things necessary in order for you to improve and encourage you at the same time. Amen. Yeah. So that's part of what the word of God does. You need to be doing it that way. Not only pointing out things that are wrong in, 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 in directly, uh, you know, opposing falseness, but also encouraging people and encouraging them along and teaching, communicating and demonstrating the truth concerning God, his character, His commands, and so forth. And he says, this is to be done in a manner that is fitting of a minister of the word, complete with complete patience. Is God patient with, with us? Yeah. Pretty, very patient, long suffering, right? So you go do the same. And this is how we're to deal with people when we are preaching the word, when we're ministering the word to people. So the reason that Timothy is to be faithful, to preaching of the word in this way, Paul begins to explain in verse three why he needs to be faithful, why he's commanded, why he's charged to preach the word for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening. What to the, to the truth and wander off into myths. The reason Timothy has to be faithful to the word in preaching this way, rebuking, rebuking, uh, reproving, exhorting and teaching with complete patience is because people won't endure it. People won't endure it. They won't be able to stand it. They're going to become weary of being confronted with the truth. That's what happens because the truth is a beautiful thing. It exposes where you are and you either are a moth or a cockroach when it comes to it. Right? We talked about that. A moth, you come to the, the light and you lose your life or you're a cockroach and you scurry away. That's what it is. The light of the truth, the light of the word needs to be preached. And people are not going to be able to stand it. They're going to become weary of being confronted by the truth, by the ministry of the word. Why? Because they have itching ears. What does that mean? They aren't going to be able to hang with the truth for very long because that's not what they want to hear. Why isn't what it, what they want to hear because it's not what's in here. It's not what's in here. People who love Jesus love his word and they love his truth. Even though it cuts like a sword, we love him. We love his words. Amen. We love the ones that comfort. And we love the ones that cut, although not as much always, but you know what I mean? My sheep know my voice. And so they're not going to be able to endure it because the word is constantly confronting the darkness in their life. It's constantly confronting sin. It's constantly calling people to repent. It's constantly calling people to run to God, to believe upon Christ, to abandon the flesh and to follow after the spirit. That's what it's con- it's relentless. It doesn't stop. Can't you just preach a feel-good message, Matt? I want a feel-good message. You know, all that kind of stuff. Keep going. And so what happens is people cancel the word of God in their lives. They cancel it. It's so easy to cancel it. How easy it is to pop on YouTube and get what you want to hear going. Isn't it? something that intrigues you? Something that feeds you. You want to say your spirit, but is it your spirit? You want to make sure that it's your spirit, right? They canceled the word of God and ministers like Timothy, he, he became the target of their ire and all kinds of things are said about him and Paul and the fellowship that they served and, and they suffered persecution of one sort of another people hurling names and titles and attaching things that don't have truth to it. And so Paul says, these people have itching ears. They're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They're going to turn away from the truth of the word of God. And they're going after myths. They are going to go after lies. That is what they want to hear. They want to hear fairy tales. They want to hear what makes them feel good. And so that's what they're going to go after. And So false teachers with false churches are going to be prevalent in the last days. That's what the point is. It's going to be perilous times. Timothy, you stay put Endure suffering. Nevertheless, Timothy was charged before God, no matter what was going on to preach the word. Verse 15, as for you, always verse five, sorry, always be sober minded, endure suffering and do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Timothy, the pull is going for, to be, for you to abandon the truth. It's going to be to you to water down the gospel to make it more seeker friendly, to make it more enticing, to ease it, you know, so people can just finally bear with what God has to say. Listen, it it should weigh heavy on us all. And also when we conform to the truth, it should bring us great joy and great freedom. Amen? Amen. So Timothy, there's going to be a pull for you to abandon the truth. Church, there's going to be a pull. Have you noticed it lately for you to abandon the truth in your workplace? wherever you are to conform with things that are not true, to agree with things that are not true. You, you know, it's the same thing. People aren't going to endure it. They want people to hear or to tell them what they want to hear. And there are going to be teachers telling them what they want to hear with much success. As for you, Timothy, as for you, Pastor Matt, as for you, dear brothers and sisters at CCF, always be sober minded. This has the idea of know the times you're living in. Know the times you're living in. Have your wits about you in the season we're in. Okay. Realize what's going on. Endure suffering, endure hardship. In other words, of course, you realize the waters are rough. You're going to get water in the boat. Endure suffer. endure suffering, suffering the persecutions, the lack of a love for truth, the society that's crumbling around us, their love for untruth, whatever it might be, endure it. Keep your call pure. Do the work of an evangelist. This is what he tells Timothy. Do the work of an evangelist. This isn't saying Timothy is an evangelist like Philip. He's saying part of preaching the word is not only a ministry internal to the church, of preaching truth, but also an external uh, witness to the world around you. Don't succumb to that. Preach the word, preach the gospel. Let it go out. The word's not only for the saved, but it's also for the unsaved. And the picture here is in the face of opposition, in the face of enduring suffering. Timothy's backing away from that aspect of things. He's just hanging around the people, you know, maybe that, uh, yeah. You want to talk about Jesus? Okay. Well, let's do that in a secret circle. No, proclaim the word, keep proclaiming the word. Paul says to Timothy at the end of verse five, fulfill your ministry. And that's the big call of second Timothy that Timothy would fulfill his call church. I want you to fulfill your call. I want you to fulfill the God, the call that God has on your life so that when you stand before him on that day, You've done what you should do. You know, don't take your foot off the gas. Keep being salt and light. Paul says, endure hardship. Timothy press into it, fulfill your call. And Paul's call to Timothy had a context. The reason why he's pushing this on Timothy so hard is look at verse six for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. Now a drink offering. If you aren't familiar with the old Testament, you had the burnt sacrifice and then you had the green offerings that with it, went with it. The last offering was a drink offering where they took, I think the wine and they, they put it over the flames. It just went poof. It was the very last of the offerings. And Paul looked at his life as, a, as one sacrifice after another, as he followed the Lord just a living sacrifice. That's what he viewed his life. That's what he taught that he was a living sacrifice. He says, I'm at the last one. I'm, I'm almost out of here. I'm almost done. I'm just, how many of you feel like, yeah, you, you, you kind of on the grain offering part. You're almost at the, you know what I'm talking about. And then there's the next generation and you look at him and you're nervous. Anybody older, nervous about the younger generation? Say amen. Pray for us. I'm praying for them. Amen. What do you want to tell them? Stay tight with the Lord. Persevere. Know the truth. Don't abandon what he's called you to press in. Keep going. Amen. You get Paul's heart here. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. Verse seven, verse seven. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I've done it. Timothy, as you've been following me, I'm at the end. You've watched me do all this stuff. And Paul would absolutely, this is not Paul saying, look what I've done. If you read the the writings of Paul, he's just saying for Timothy, "I'm, I'm about to die. And God has been faithful to bring me to where I am. And we know that it is God who works in us to will and to do his will. But he's at the end. He's about to lose his head. God's brought me to this point, Timothy. I've fought the good fight, the good fight. He was a good soldier for Jesus, and he says, "I've I've finished the race." He ran the race in a way to attain the prize. He he cast off the weights of sin. He ran after Christ who was his prize. Right. And he says, I've I've kept the faith in other words. He's guarded. What was entrusted to him. He's done it. He's at the end. Christ has done it through him. You know, Paul's not boasting in himself. He's just seeing the fact of where he is and what God has done. I'm at the end. All these have the Greek tense of, of having completed something with continuing rewards. He's like, I finished and now I'm, um, I'm waiting for the award ceremony. And that's what he's looking for. And that's why Paul says in verse three, henceforth there is laid up for me, the crown of righteousness, Timothy, I'm done in what's laid ahead for me. The next step, the next thing is a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, again, he brings the judge will award to me on that day. The day that I stand before him, he's going to award me the crown of righteousness. And not only to me, Take courage, Church, but to all who have loved His appearing, the crown of righteousness, the Stephanos, the the victor's crown. You know, at the end of the games, they put a crown on someone as a symbol of of acknowledging someone overcoming. To He who overcomes, so it's the idea of at the end of the path of a Christian. We are looking unto Jesus the whole time, the author and our finish of our faith. We're looking to meet him, but we're expecting his return at any moment. It's a very purifying effect. And as we are awaiting his return, as we are waiting, his appearing, that word appearing means glorious, shining kind of like magnificent light. Jesus says he's going to, as as lightning goes across the sky. So his return will be, He's, he's radiant. He's coming back. He's coming back for us. And we're expecting that they expected that. Every apostle expected that those who love Jesus can't wait for him to come back in the sense that Lord, I belong with you and you belong with me. I am my beloved's and he is mine. I can't wait to be with you. Yes. I want unpeople people to be saved. And for that hence we want to delay, but man can't wait to see you. Amen. This is what Paul is hinting at to Timothy that all the suffering is coming to a day when Timothy will stand before the Lord, Jesus, the righteous judge, and he will be rewarded accordingly. It's worth it. It's worth it to fight the good fight. It's worth it to run the run. It's worth all the mundane farming that, you know, that we experience as Christians just sticking on the straight and narrow Paul was on the cusp of receiving his reward just shortly, the crown of righteousness. Now we receive the imputed righteousness of Christ. When we're born again, it means we have a right standing with God. We're justified before God. There's a righteousness that isn't ours that God gives us. When we believe in Jesus Christ, when he transforms us Romans four, six and 11, but then the Holy spirit works in us a practical righteousness. A sanctification, right? Uh, in that we learn to live righteously before God and one another because of who we are in Christ. It gets worked out, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it gets worked out in our life. That's what's going on right now in our lives. But then on the day we stand before the mercy seat of God, we receive glorification, that perfected righteousness, as some theologians say, inside of us. In our actions and our motives, just a right standing before God that's 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 everywhere and everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a it's done. While while we are righteous before God and we are becoming righteous in in that in our actions, and our deeds on that day it will be done, and we stand before Jesus. I can't wait for that day. So many believe that this is speaking of that day, Galatians five five. When um, we are are a done deal and we have the crown of righteousness, that reward before Lord. And so before the Lord. And so Paul says, this is not only for him, but all for who love is appearing. Do you love the appearing of Jesus? Are you anticipating his return? Is that in your heart? I am totally. Renee's about to do a (laughs) backflip. Amen. Love it. Those who live in the anticipation of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Amen. It has a purifying effect upon us. To be busy about his business until that day, Paul's ministry was fulfilled. His life was coming to an end, but Timothy's was not done yet. Yours is not done yet. Mine is not done yet. Amen. And we have yet to fulfill our ministry, to complete our ministry that God has called us to. Now you might be going, I have no idea what my ministry is. Time to get a clue. Time with me to seek the Lord together and go, Lord, what is that? What is it that you have for us? You know, I've been walking kind of aimlessly in this life. Lord, teach me now and show me what it is I'm to be doing at this time, forgetting about what's happened behind us. Can't change that. But from this day forward, Lord, I want to serve you, I want to follow you, and I want to live for your glory. Show me what that's like. And if I need to change jobs, then let's do it. If I need to sell everything and move, let's do it. Amen. Oh, really? Amen. Amen. All for Jesus. All for Jesus. All I am. I never hoped to be all of my ambitions, hopes and plans. We sing it. May it be so in my heart too. It's challenging. In closing, turn with me to Matthew 25 verses 13 through 30. I just want to read them with you. Matthew 25 verses 13 through 30. I read verse 23 at the beginning that Jesus is teaching about the last days. And he does, he does a couple parables to help us understand. He just got done teaching the parable of the 10 virgins. Five were ready. Five weren't. And at the end of that, he says in verse 13, Matthew 25 verse 13, he says, watch therefore for you don't, you don't, you don't know neither the day or nor the hour. We don't know when the Lord's going to return, but our job, our role is to watch, to be ready. And then on, right on the heels of that, he jumps into another parable, which we're going to read now, the parable of the talents in closing verse 14 for it will be. That is the day the Lord comes. It will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusts them, his pop entrusted them, his property. And to one, he gave five talents. Okay. That's a measure of money into another two and into another one, each one, according to his what ability. God gave these people talents according to their ability. And then he went away verse 16. And he would receive five talents when at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. Now he has 10 talents. Pretty cool. Verse 17. So also he who had two talents and made two talents more, right? So he made four. Now he has four total, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So he kept that one talent. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled his accounts with them. to settle his accounts with them and he who had received the 5 talents came forward bringing 5 talents more saying master you delivered to me 5 talents here i have made 5 more talents and his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over little i will set you over what much enter into the joy of your master verse 22 and he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, verse 23, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24, he also had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground here. You have what's yours. (laughs) Verse 26, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. You ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. I'm expecting something back from what I've given to you. So take the talent from him and give it to him has 10 talents for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance underline that. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth what he's describing is a believer and a non-believer. Believers take what God has given them and they fulfill the ministry that God has called them to non-believers. They don't look at that. Paul's saying, I've completed it. I've taken what God's given me and I've invested it. And now I stand before your throne. And now he has an abundance church. He has an abundance an overflowing abundance. This is what God will reward you with on that day. Be faithful, fulfill your call, persevere, invest your life in what truly matters. Amen. Thanks for letting me talk with you for a while. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, that we would endure for an hour and a half in your house to hear things that really are going to impact us for eternity. God, help us not to worry about the person next to us and what they've been given in the sense of we care for them, but Lord, what you've given us, Lord, let us be faithful with it today. May we change may we persevere by your grace in the season we're in and Lord may nothing stop us apart from your spirit directing us be glorified that on that day, when we see you face to face, Lord, it'll just be all joy. <laughs> we love you, Lord. And we commit our lives to you and the ministries you've entrusted to us, Lord, teach us. It's in your name. Amen. Amen.